This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. It is Monday, and so on Mental Mondays, we like to have our checkup from the neck up with our friend Dr. Rick Perea from thinkone4u.org. That's thinkone, the number for you, dot org. And, and Dr. With the, uh, well, thanks for joining us as always. The Broncos end their long, depressing losing streak to the Kansas City Chiefs 24 to 9 victory. The interesting part of it, obviously, is, is the performance that they had against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Mahomes, no touchdowns, two interceptions, uh, sacked three times, pressured a lot of the the, the game. And uh, even Mahomes talked about how teams would be looking to replicate, his quote, the defense that the Broncos have thrown at the Chiefs over the last three weeks. It wasn't that long ago that this defense gave up part of, part of, 70 to the Miami Dolphins. And it wasn't right. that long before that where the three of us were sitting right here during a pre- following a preseason game talking about how defensive coordinator Vance Joseph looked almost panicked on the sideline, and it might even be stressing his players out. Night and day difference. Here we are a couple months later, and now the Denver Broncos in the last three weeks have the 13th best defense in expected points added per play, but two of those are against the defending champs. Right. Yeah, and I think there's a definite positive correlation between VJ's behavior on the sidelines. And let me remind the listeners and viewers Behavior is communication and physical behavior. And so when you see, when we saw him at the beginning of the season, um, I've always joked with Vance because I know him from Miami that he plays with his power pack on his waistband yeah. too much. He's, he's acting like he's adjusting the volume, yeah. but he's really just playing with it. It's an anxiety t- uh, tick, if you will. And early in the season, he showed a lot of movement. We call that somatic anxiety, the body. Um, cognitive anxiety is the thinking, so your thinking's limited. But we saw a lot of movement up and down the sidelines, touching his power pack, ch- adjusting his headset, adjusting his hat on a regular basis. And that, to me, indicated he was had a very high level of anxiety. Now, the players don't have degrees in psychology necessarily or definitely PhDs in psychology, and it doesn't take that to look at somebody and say, man, they're nervous, they're anxious. And that's what they were taking away from him. And if you jump forward to yesterday and even the last few weeks, he's much more sedentary. He's much more calm. He's much more reflective uh, on the sidelines. If you remember the Super Bowl season with Wade Phillips, Wade hardly moved. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 it, and he same at practice. I mean, they'd be playing music and everything, and he'd hardly move. So the defense tends to take on the personality of the defensive coordinator. Offensive, offensive coordinator as well. But I think there's definitely been a change with VJ. In fact, I know there's been a change with VJ, and the defense has, has taken suit and they're playing calmer, what's called the parasympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system, which is the calm side. And when you play on that side, you're, you have virtually no muscle tension, your thinking is clear, your heart rate's down, and your respiration is calm. Now, when we can apply this like to our to ourselves a little Absolutely. bit, right? Absolutely. So, when, when when we're anxious, obviously you'd like to be less anxious. You'd like to find something that's grounding or whatever. But there is an aspect for what you're talking about. This behavior, it's physical behavior that's outward. It can be a little bit of fake it till you make it too, right? As long sure. as you catch yourself, you're like, nope, I'm not gonna fiddle with this power pack, or I'm right. not gonna. I'm just gonna catch myself. Yeah. I might even be nervous inside, but I'm not gonna mess with my hat. I'm not gonna mess with my power pack because I don't want to put that out right. to the people who are viewing me. And there's a little bit of that too. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And you know, when somebody, we call that, you know, cognitive rehearsal, that we rehearse it in our mind and we tell ourselves, you know, today I'm going to be great at what I do. I'm going to be a, a call a great game. I'm going to be very calm in front of the defense. 
when you tell your brain what you want it to do, it'll do it. The brain will do that. The mind is a different story. Everyone's brain at this table is the same. We all have a hypothalamus, hippocampus, prefrontal, occipital cortex, all that. But our minds are very different based on our experiences. So we can tell the brain what to do, and the brain will do it. The mind sits over here and goes, no, nah, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> but if you train the brain long enough, Sean, it will, the, the mind will come over and go, God, I guess that's who we are. That's what we do you know, in, our, in my business is we train the brain, we replicate reps to the point where the mind comes over and says, we're going to make a change and be that calm person. That's the cool thing. The, the brain has what we call neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity means the brain has a capacity to change. And then there's also what's called neurogenesis. We can generate new thinking pathways. Think of it this way. Let's say you go up to Chautauqua Park in Boulder and you're hiking up a trail that's already wore in. All of a sudden you decide to take a right turn where there's no trail. And there's weeds, there's trees, there's whatever. But every day when you go up there, you make that same right turn. Now all of a sudden you're starting to wear in a trail. And the other trail you don't go up is starting to grow in. We can do the same thing with neural pathways in the brain. So we can create new neural pathways in new ways to think and process. And that's, obviously that's what VJ's doing. And that's what a lot of the members of Denver's defense is doing. Well, it, getting Justin Simmons back obviously helped. Yeah. Because he plays, uh, and I'd be interested to hear if this is your observation about him too. He, he plays in, in a way that, to me, perfectly embodies someone playing with emotion but not emotional lead. Sure, yeah. And he shows just the right kind of fire and joy, certainly when things are going mm -hmm. well and there hasn't been, as we know, a lot of joy for yeah. Justin Simmons uh, in terms of postseason activity there's been no joy because there hasn't been any postseason right, activity right. Uh, since justin arrived through no fault of his own but to me he's he's kind of the focal point that that you're talking about kind of the proverbial coach on the field and when vance joseph is communicating through justin simmons he seems a lot calmer because right. Justin Simmons is always calm. Your textbook coach on the field type of thing. Yeah, yeah. and you know that's interesting, you, that kind of hypothesis you put out there, Sandy, it's powerful because I tell parents all the time that we evoke behaviors out of our kids. Absolutely, same, especially <laughs> parents watching games. Exactly. And I'm going to tell you something. So if, for example, VJ is talking to Simmons, and Simmons is very calm, cool, collected, sequential in his communication – that's going to influence the way VJ communicates with him. But if VJ's communicating with, say, uh, uh, Jewel, the, the, the Mike linebacker, and Jewel's very intense and he's quick, and he's, that's going to influence the way VJ communicates with him. So there is a reciprocal determinism there that influences the way people communicate. I think one of the things, I know two things that happen with VJ, I can't say, but two things happen with VJ that are really kind of, psychological but one thing that i really know has also happened is i think him going through that 70 point game the the three or four games there where people were calling for his head and he he survived that and sean payton stayed with him and i think that I gave agree. him I a agree. real Good sense a real sense of self-efficacy which is a belief system in himself and now i see vj standing up a little bit straighter and I'm happy for him. I really am. Because like I said, I know him. And I think he has a real capability of being a good DC. He just needed the vote of confidence of those 
you know, in the in his locker room, first coaches and now the players are obviously showing him by the way they play. Now, going forward, they have a bye week. This is an opportunity. Uh, at times, you know, when the momentum's good, you kind of want to get back out there, but that's not an option for them. So how do the players sort of get the rest and, and relaxation and get away from the game a little bit without losing the momentum that they've built? Yeah, well, the the first thing you said was right on target. They got to get rest. They got to get physical rest, but emotional rest too. And for some of them, uh, you know, they, they do see therapists, they do see coaches, they do see external outside people. They need to do the checkup from the neck up, get their work done, but they need to rest physiologically as well. And when they're able to do that, then they can come back that next Wednesday, in effect, right. if you will, it starts their work week, and, and prepare with energy and passion. There's three things that you guys have heard me say, effort, energy, and attitude. They come back with full EEA, what I call, they'll be, they'll be in a really strong place. And, you know, Vance, I think needs to continue to communicate to them his expectations and communicate with the captains and be able to say, you know what, we can flush where we've been and we can start anew. We can be whoever we want to be. There's evidence that we did it you know, yesterday against one of the best offenses in the league. So I think there's a lot to build on here, but rest is key, Sean. I'm telling you right now, um, you know, the emotional part of playing a game like yesterday does take its toll, and I'm sure several of them today, um, after their meetings, they probably gave them some time off. Um, they're they're resting, and that's a good thing that they need to do. And I think it's actually good for them to be able to digest and drink this Kool Aid for basically 12 days because <laughs> they needed some good Kool Aid. Because after what they've been through, they've been through a lot. Yeah, you, you can't lose at least during a buy as well, and so you don't you don't necessarily <laughs> right. have that. It doesn't get spoiled for you. Right, right, but. Interesting thing about yesterday to me, and actually it, it sounds crazy to say because the Chiefs have beaten the Broncos 16 times in a row and they were 12-0 and with Mahomes quarterback. But maybe more than any other player, I'm beginning to think Justin Simmons with five interceptions in his career against mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, yeah. there, there's seasons that go by where he isn't intercepted five times. Right. That maybe Simmons is in his head. Yeah. A little bit. Absolutely. In a way that no other defensive player in the league seems to be in Mahomes' head. Right. And, you know, what's interesting to me is that so many of these players have relationships off the field. Right. That we and don't... Simmons and Mahomes are friends. Yeah. But even before the last game, Mahomes was chatting with Simmons and said something – that acknowledged his awareness that right. Simmons had picked him off a bunch of times. Yeah. And what comes to my mind, the reason I bring that up is because they may have a relationship where there's some inside information there because I'll never forget when the Broncos came down to Miami and played us, I think it was in 17, um, after the game, you know how players stay after and give each other right. their jerseys. Well, Von Miller and Jarvis Landry were 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 kicking it and talking and – and chopping it up, and I went up to them, and I'm like, how do you guys know each other? And they started telling me, man, I met him at a Pro Bowl, and right. then we started talking, and then we hung out our families. And and so it's it's it wouldn't surprise me if Justin Simmons has spent some time around him mm-hmm. and knows some more about him than, than the average player and maybe just studied some film on him. You know, Patrick Mahomes does have tendencies. You know, a lot of people think, you know, he's, he's very um, – Improvisation. I, improvisa- improvisational, and he's in, but 
I tell you what, he does have some real tendencies. It's like John Elway when right before John Elway was going to throw, he'd pat that ball one more time and boom before he let it go. There are some tendencies where you can jump routes anticipate the ball coming because they have these tendencies that they watch in film. That's why they watch so much film is so they can get those tendencies. But, yeah, I would say Justin Simmons, if not before this game now, Patrick Mahomes <laughs> knows who that guy is. So as we now take a look at, at, at the way that the, that the team improves, right, and we watch the, the performances, we, they've gotten their guys back. It is the trade deadline. We'll have it tomorrow, yes. even during the bye week. We don't know if the Broncos will make moves or not, but uh, the uncertainty surrounding that for certain players, you know, how do they find a way, uh, let's say you're not traded, but maybe you hurt, perhaps you're Jerry Judy, your name's been on the block, or Cortland Sutton, whether they're traded or not, you knew that maybe you might be traded. Uh, and a player that the Broncos may move away or add. I mean, how do you then make those those situations uh, as quickly adjustable for you when you're having that kind of life change right in the middle of a season? Yeah. So we have a technique called SIT, stress inoculation technique, and it uses a script, and you can you can design the script to whatever you want to do for that day. For example, you'd wake up, th do three diaphragmatic breaths, get you on the parasympathetic side, and then your script would say something. I love my life. I love my family. I love what it feels like to be a Detroit Lion. Let's say you got traded to the Detroit Lions, and you say today's going to be in a wonderful day. I'm going to meet my new teammates, meet my coaches, and I'm going to assimilate. So you start telling your brain, like I said before, start telling your brain what you want it to do because the brain will react that way over time. The mind will come over, but the brain will react that day. So you use these scripts. You use them and you repeat them. You use the diaphragmatic breathing so you're on that parasympathetic side and you're calm. There is a way to really have what we call emotional agility. Emotional agility, you think about the word agility physically. It means quick, change of direction, that type of thing, right? And then we use that in sports. Well, what about mental agility, the ability to adapt to change quickly you know it's like a sudden change on a, a turnover in football right the first thing a defense coordinator says is a sudden change sudden change and you got to adapt well life happens too so for football players there are sudden changes you get traded you get waived you just have to be emotional emotionally agile to adapt and we have tools to teach these players to do that we have tools to teach everyday people to do that and that's what we do at my company think one we've talked a lot about CU and even a little bit about CSU in recent weeks. The game that may have fascinated me the most was the one played in Fort Collins the other night between Air Force and CSU. Uh, conditions much worse than those that existed at the stadium yesterday for Broncos yes. Chiefs, to be honest about it. Yeah. Um, in fact, the field conditions were dreadful. Air Force is a better team than CSU. But Air Force didn't have its A game. The quarterback now has a brace in his left knee. He injured it in the Wyoming game a couple of weeks ago. And even on a good field, it doesn't look like he has the kind of explosiveness. I saw him play on a dry field in Annapolis last week, and he wasn't nearly as effective, though it's like fairly remarkable that he's playing at all. Yeah, Pretty serious knee injury that, he, that he's playing with. I want to ask you about Troy Calhoun in particular and the Air Force mentality in general. I mean, they won that game 30-13. to 13. They didn't play that well, but they were in complete control of the game. And CSU was making the anxiety mistakes. Right. And 
Air Force never seems, back on the same topic, anxious or terribly worried about anything, and yet they're right on point, they're always where they should be, and they play with uh, great effort and enthusiasm yeah. all the time, even when they aren't playing right. all that well. Yeah, well, think about it. The, the players, just academically, to be admitted into that school, how many – you know, their GPAs have to be really high. They have to do well in their test scores. So they they know how to regulate anxiety from an academic perspective. And that carries over in the athletic realm as well. You know, Air Force has always had structure, accountability, and discipline on their side. Where they've lacked at times is, is talent, you know, world-class speed and athleticism Science. and those type of things. Yeah. But they've always, you know – been able to equate that to running the wishbone or running the a version of the wishbone and you know a, a split back veer that would allow their you know not as good a size against the Notre Dames right. of the world to be able to compete but you know I think what you saw the other night by the way my son Keegan went to that game for his recruit trip for CSU yeah. and I said what a day to go up there I was in LA so I wasn't with him but what a day to go there and he said that he said exactly what you did Air Force Three yards and a cloud of snow. We usually yeah, say a cloud yeah, of right, dust. Right, right. <laughs> Three that's yards exactly. and a cloud of snow, you know, and they're just patient. And they and it's a structure, accountability, and discipline is what that team has. And you, you, you guys have seen this. We've talked about it off the air. So many offensive coordinators are impatient. They don't allow offenses to get a rhythm and get in a flow, and they literally kind of panic in their play calling. And so they look for that 12-yard chunk, that 15-yard chunk in a pass play when they could just methodically run the ball. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times for me when I played in college, offenses did us a favor. If they just handed the ball off, they were going to run it down our throats. But then they start throwing and they get incomplete. And I'm like, thank you. So I think Air Force is, is the best team in the state for sure. That's, oh, that without in, question. In terms of just regulating themselves and using accountability and structure and discipline. And so like you said, they weren't great, but – you know, Colorado State hasn't found their footing yet no. under that new coaching right. staff, and we'll see if that that comes to fruition. What were you doing in Los Angeles, <laughs> by the way, yeah. since you brought it up? Well, I'll tell you what. I met a guy about five years ago. He heard me on your show on 104.3 The Fan, and he looked me up, and he called me, and he says, hey, I'm a writer, a Hollywood writer. I write for The Sopranos. I write for George Lopez and Two and a Half Men and all these shows in Hollywood. And he says, when I listen to you talk about psychology, it's digestible. Well, anyway, then we had the pandemic. Now we come out of it. Writer strike, it's over. So he invited me out to L.A. with three other writers, really prominent writers. I mean, you, you, I could name drop with all the shows. But they have hired me to be a creative producer. And what that means is that I give them my experiences that I've had with players, with coaches, with front office people, and we talk about that. And um, we're going we're gonna to design a show around a performance psychologist, a forward-thinking, a performance psychologist. And, you know, I might even have a, a cameo. Uh, I don't even think I've told you this, Sandy. We're, we're very good friends. And in my 20s, I made 10 television commercials. I thought I was going to be an actor back then. But then uh, other things changed that, and I didn't go that route. But so it's exciting. It's one of the jobs that I do that it's creative, innovative. And I never thought when I was in graduate school getting my Ph.D. that I'd be – a producer on a TV show. Yeah, I never thought when I was 
going to the University of Colorado in part for performing arts that I'd actually ever end up as an actor because, uh, well, I just, yeah, that was never going to happen. So there you go. But maybe it does because now I have it in. There Look you at go. This. Hey, every Monday you have an opportunity to break things down with Dr. Rick Priya, our Mental Mondays. Uh, check up from the neck up. Make sure you follow Dr. Rick and everything he's doing over at his website. Thinkone4u.org is the website. Thanks so much for the time as always. Thanks, guys. Love thanks. being with you. All right. Thanks, Dr. Rick Priya, joining us. Uh, another team that doesn't need to get too stressed because, um, you know, they haven't lost. They have the best player in the world. He's Western Conference player of the Only 3-0 and team in the association. Yep. And, the and playing while, again tonight to go Since the defending champ started 3-0. and We'll talk about yeah. the Denver Nuggets next on Mile High Sports. I will try not to sing out of key. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. But then you got to credit guys like Contavious Caldwell Pope, who I think, um, I think he's an All NBA defender. You know, we asked him to guard the best players, 82 regular season games and 20 playoff games last year, and uh, he's totally committed to that. He understands that, that that's his greatest gift to this basketball team. Michael Malone, of course, following the Nuggets game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, which they won handily, 128 to 95, but calling out Contavious Caldwell Pope, and rightly so, sort of out of the, the Nuggets, five starters, the best statistically for well over a year now, the best five-man unit in basketball, sort of the, um, I would say, the George Harrison well, <laughs> of the, uh, the the Nuggets Beatles, maybe a little Listen, overlooked, but it, let, let me just t- give you this it, first, Sandy, okay. Uh, he guards the best player on the floor. Well, that's Shea Gildas-Alexander, okay? Shea Gildas-Alexander is a top 10, if not top 5 player in this league. He shot 2 for 16, including 0 for 4 from 3. He scored 7 points and was a minus 22 on the day. And that's with KCP on him the majority of the time. I mean, that is not, uh, that is lockdown. And when he does that, when he's isolating and removing the, the other team's best score from the equation, you have no chance if the Denver Nuggets are even on their BB minus game. And that's what happened in this one. This game was a laugher. Well, it, it was. And generally speaking, uh, the Nuggets, I know they say in sports you can't turn it on and off. And I don't know that they've exactly turned it off at any point. But the weakest opponent out of the first three teams they played was Memphis. Mm -hmm. And that was their sloppiest game. Jokic had nine turnovers. They seemed to be kind of going through the motions. Memphis has kind of been a house of horrors for them. They had lost six straight games to the Grizzlies in Memphis. And generally, Memphis gives them trouble head-to-head. Didn't have to play Memphis in the playoffs last year. Memphis wasn't very good in the playoffs, but I since the Nuggets would have rather played almost any other team save for Memphis because they had such poor luck in Memphis going against the Grizzlies. But that's the weakest team they're playing right now because Stephen Adams is out for the year with a knee injury, the center, and more importantly, uh, John Morant suspended for 25 years. Right. So they played maybe a CC-plus game, and they got away with it. They played at an A, at worst, A-minus level against the Lakers and against Oklahoma City yesterday. They could have won that game. Like they could have picked the score. Points. Yeah, they could have picked the score. As it was easily as 33, ludicrous. whatever it was. And so, 
when I look at their starting five, I see Washington Post surveys, top 100 players in the NBA. The Nuggets have four, uh, probably four of the top 65, 70, right? Mm-hmm. You start with Porter. He's the it's lowest. Really top of the then set. you go yeah, to Gordon, the who's 70. right around 50, 51, wherever. Then you have two top 20 players. Well, you have a top 20 player in Murray, and you have a top player, certainly a top five player, top three player, top two player, I think the best player in best the world, player. in Jokic. Carlo Pone never gets mentioned. No. Never. Ever. That's because and he I'm ends not up sure he there. should be. He had seven points again. If you were listing the top 20 defensive players in the NBA, especially on ball, Michael Malone's making a case, and I think it's persuasive, that he'd be in that top 20 among straight-up defensive players in the NBA. And his value to the Nuggets because he is a guy that, look, in the opening game he had 18 points, right? Oh, he scored fine. And in, in this game he only took five shots. Right. And it is well, hard that wasn't to find. Job right, but it's hard to find guys who embrace that role. That, that to, you know, we, we need you to basically, we're not worried about you scoring. We have enough scoring if you can limit Gilgis Alexander. Caldwell Pope just takes that as a badge of honor and says, okay, um, let's go do that. And, and when he's successful, the Nuggets are going to win those games. I mean, give him a ton of credit for that. He really has been so important to this team. And, and I'm, I, as I mentioned, you know, prior to the break, Nikola Jokic named Western Conference Player of the Week, 26.3 points, 13 boards, 7.7 assists a game on 61.5% shooting. Keep in mind, Michael Porter Jr., by the way, who is playing with an, an ankle that is still sore, kept him out of the preseason, and it's still sore. He's still playing. Michael Porter Jr. has not been shooting at the rate he'd like to be shooting at, but he did have 20 points yesterday, and he's averaging, Sandy, 13.7 points and 11.3 boards per game, and he's been a double-double guy, and he's not even averaging 30 minutes a night. Listen, he'll score more, and he probably won't rebound at, at this level. But, again, he's playing as probably qualitatively the fourth best of the five starters. Uh, special credit to both KCP and to Porter because they're being asked to do things that go uh, well beyond scoring and at the expense of their scoring. Yeah. And they're doing them. And they're doing those things without complaint, without believing that, uh, gee, you know, I don't care how good a defensive player you are, you're never going to get near all-star status. No. If you don't average no. 15, and, and 16 Porter a Jr., since least. he was a junior high, was renowned as a scorer, a scorer, a scorer. Look at this guy, what he can score. The prototypical uh, AAU player. And and they've asked him over the last, especially in the playoff run, this to, to, no, we need you to do some other things. And he's embraced it. And it's one of the reasons that this team, I know that they're, they're working on the bench. Uh, and that we don't know what that shape is going to taste like. But when these five guys are doing what they can do. I just don't. The, the the difference, we talk about ceilings and floors sometimes. The floor for the Denver Nuggets very is exceedingly high. Very. high. And, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in the game on uh, against the Thunder, you know, uh, you get good performances out of Christian Brown who almost gets a double du- or triple-double. Triple-double, 13-7-7. Uh, Peyton seven. Watson puts up 17 points on 8-4-11 shooting. Yes. I mean... Uh, there's it, it, a lot to it, like. Listen, I, Julian Strother Bruce Brown is playing great for Indiana, sure. and Indiana's off to a nice start. Less. But last year, 
when I looked at Caldwell Pope and Bruce Brown, one started and one came off the bench, but they were, in effect, both starters. They both played starters. In fact, Brown, I think, played more than Caldwell Pope did. Average minutes per game. I thought Brown was better offensively, but I thought defensively Caldwell Pope was a little better than Brown was. In other words, in terms of impact on the team, I didn't see much to choose between those two. And everybody talks about, well, Brown's got to replace Brown. Uh, right. B-R-A-U-N has to replace B-R-O-W-N. And I'm saying, that's not the way I look at it. it. The way I look at it is that they may ask Caldwell Pope for a little more, more. scoring here and there, yep. but just play the same defense regardless of whether you're scoring or not. We want efficiency. And with Christian Brown, you're getting efficiency. And he went Watson, five, you're getting he even went five for five from the foul line. Right. I mean, it, that that's the only weakness I see in Christian Brown's game is his foul shooter. Well, oddly, still. And he went layups. five for five. So I assume that'll come around, but it's weird. Well, yeah, but he's he's shooting a good percentage. He never takes a bad shot. And Watson's the same way. Watson averaged what three points a game at UCLA. Not even, not, not even, not even 2.6. 2.6, okay. Lowest for a first-round draft pick ever. But he's he gives you other things, and the most important thing he gives you is youth. He's got almost two blocks a game. He only plays and, 17 minutes you know, a game. Najee's fine. Reggie Jackson's that's my only. Great. That's my only thing is I just I don't know what Zeke Najee brings. But I whatever. think he brings a lot. I, th- I think he brings a willingness uh, to play 12 to 15 minutes as a backup center. You've got to get more than one they, rebound they, every 13 minutes they, on the floor. Who cares, though? They, they, they're not. Listen, they got out-rebounded badly, but the starters weren't rebounding the first game. It doesn't make any difference. Rebounding generally, offensive rebounding matters, especially when you're not shooting well. But even with the Nuggets, offensive rebounding doesn't matter that much. They shoot a high percentage. Yeah. They shoot 50% in a league where nobody shoots 50%. And by the way, we talked so about So they don't need to be great on the offensive boards. And defense, they, they, they turn the ball over, I, I bet on average, six, seven times less frequently than their opponents do per game. Who cares about the rebounds? Just don't go out there and screw up and – handle the ball uh, in situations where you you need to move it and you're trying to dribble and you lose it. Don't, just don't do those things. You've got nine guys who are basically mistake-free players who don't turn it over. And every team has a guy who probably turns it over, uh, particularly coming off the bench, guys who probably are more mistake players. The more you play them, the more their mistakes come into their game. The Nuggets don't have guys not, like that. Not really. And, and, yeah. and most backup centers, this was true with DeAndre Jordan earlier in his career, even when he was starting, he complained about his minutes. Now he's the one guy He's on the, the only guy that didn't get off the bench. never plays. He's the only guy that didn't get off the bench. Never plays. And he doesn't say Braxton a word. Key, Hunter Tyson, Julius Stroh, they all got to play. DeAndre Jordan didn't. You're playing behind Jokic. There's one, no need to complain. And Najee's thrilled getting 13 minutes. It doesn't matter if he's a center. How many decent backup centers are there? There's anyway? not even decent enough decent starting centers. That's right. 
he could play against and compete reasonably well against almost half the starting centers in this league. There are 16 or 17 centers in this league who are top 100 players in the NBA. That's it. Hmm. There are 30 teams, Hmm. 16, 17 centers. He can play against the other 13 and compete. And he can play against every I'm not backup. Sold, but if their biggest, but if my biggest worry is that I don't well, think that Zeke Naji off the bench is all other that great. Other than playing Jokic 48 minutes, who would you put in there? Well, I don't. I, I don't think they have the right person on the roster. But the, but it's again the point is that you know if, if that's your problem, that's not a huge problem. By I, the way, I don't think it is a problem. Porter Jr. Uh, starting to round it for was eight for 14, four for seven for three. Uh, so some of that starting to fall a little bit. You talk about. Uh, the mistakes, obviously, Porter Jr., again, like he, in fact, the almost the exact same assist turnover rate he had in the playoffs last year, three and a half to one. So, I mean, Porter Jr.'s evolution, I think, is very, very telling because it, it's important to note that, yeah, you've had the injuries. Yeah, he feels like he's been around for a while. Michael Porter Jr. just turned 25 in June. I mean, there is still... Uh, and he's remade his game, to his credit. Yeah, there, there is some game. some upside. So the, the Nuggets, obviously, on cruise control, they do play tonight. They get the Jazz uh, at home tonight. That'll uh, tip off in just a little uh, under an hour and a half. See if the Nuggets can take it to 4-0. It hasn't been since the Cleveland Cavaliers won, but LeBron James, since a defending champ, has started the season just 3-0. That's kind of remarkable. Well, and And nothing against that Cleveland team. But there wasn't a person on the face of the earth who thought they'd repeat, <laughs> even though they ended up getting right. back to the finals. Because the only reason they beat Golden State in 2016 is because Draymond Green got himself suspended. Now, that happens to Draymond Green from time well, to LeBron time. James. It just happened at the wrong time. And LeBron, hey, listen, Did they LeBron won. James. They won, but they never would have won. If he hadn't gotten suspended, they were Golden State was up three games to one, and coming back the next year, there was no way that Cleveland was going to repeat because they weren't the best team the year before. Now the best team doesn't always win, and I'm fascinated by this baseball argument that's going on right now, which is going on the same way. Well, the World Series is no good because nobody will watch. Well, that's probably true. That's probably true. But it doesn't mean that the most deserving teams aren't there. Are they the best teams? No. No. You find out probably who the best teams are over 162 games, but you, you can't duplicate that in the playoffs. They're the two sports that change from the regular season to the playoffs, and they're the two sports that have upsets all the time in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Hockey's a different game, and baseball's a different game because yeah. depth doesn't mean anything. Except you in the bullpen. Need- Three or four hearts. Well, only there if you don't have starting pitching. And Arizona and Texas have great starting pitching. So they don't need bullpen. In fact, their bullpens, if you're going to cite a weakness with these two teams, actually it is the bullpen for both teams. But they're the most deserving teams because they not only played well when it mattered the most, they dominated these teams they beat. These 100-win teams went 1-9 and in the postseason. I mean, I'm and how about, sorry. How about this tonight before we before we hop out of here? But tonight, of course, Max Scherzer is 39. Uh, he, he will take on Brandon Fott of the uh, of the Diamondbacks, and I may have butchered that name. I've tried that when it gets me every time. He's 25. That's the that's the biggest age gap between the two starters. Uh, it's 
that's, you know, 14 years. It's going to be hard to get the biggest one back in 2008. Do you remember it? Matt Garza of the Rays was 24. Yeah. Took on a certain player from the Phillies. Spent some time in this town. That'd be one Jamie Moyer, who is 40. Wow, I, I had forgotten the Moyer pitched. 20, for, for yeah, that. 21 year gap. That yeah. one's going to be tough, but a big gap tonight, especially yeah. because, uh, boy, the Rangers need Max Scherzer to come through here. I'll tell you, I still think Texas will win, but boy, Arizona is tough. They lost a, 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 just a murderous game to lose, and they come back the next night and they win nine to one. I mean, and that's part of it, too, is Dr. Rick Perea can explain he was around the Rockies for a year. Baseball is a different sport psychologically. And, you know, Earl Weaver used to ha- have a great line. He said, momentum in baseball is the next day's starting pitcher. Right. And Arizona had the better starter the next day. He pitched better. So, however brutal that loss was the night before, twenty less than 24 hours earlier, they had lost in agonizing fashion, but they had a starting pitcher who was better the next day, and they hit the cover off the ball and won by eight runs. Blew them out. Be interesting to see how that shakes out. Of course, the Nuggets go tonight against the Jazz. The World Series are going to going under, uh, undergoing uh, game three. will happen simultaneously. The Broncos get their big win. They've now won a couple in a row. Things are looking better. Is Russell Wilson back? I have some numbers for you that I want to share before Sandy spikes him into the front row. We'll do that next on Mile High Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Every win in the National Football League is a, is a good one. Um, it feels great, but uh, this one meant a lot. You know, winning matters, and uh, you know, this one meant a lot. Obviously, uh, I know there's been a lot of tough times over the over the years here with with the Chiefs. It's a really good football team on that side. Obviously, they're, they're champions, everything else. But um, we, we we had a great week of practice. We knew that we could come out and. Uh, and win this football game and play great in front of our fans. And just to win, I beat the Chiefs, uh, you know, at home in front of our fans, you know, and just in front of Broncos country. And just uh, the crowd was amazing tonight. It it brought us that extra energy. Guys made plays on defense. Guys made plays on offense, special teams. It was an amazing team effort. And uh, there's nothing better than winning. Russell Wilson following the immediate following the game down at uh, Miles Stadium. So the... uh, situation with the Broncos is good. And Russell Wilson uh, was, at, at minimum, you can, you can say what you do about it, but he was uh, I- effective because in the end, you know, you're talking about a game which he threw three touchdown passes, no turnovers, uh, a decent completion percentage, but the numbers themselves were really, really limited. I mean, they weren't really doing that much. Eight, uh, eight of his completions out of nine attempts were behind the line of scrimmage. So, so that's the bad part. But let me give you just some numbers first, Sandy about Wilson's season thus far. The uh, overall thrown 66.1 completion percentage, uh, 1,613 yards, 16 touchdowns matching last year's total to four interceptions. The 16 to four touchdown interception ratio is second in the NFL. For reference, by the way, Patrick Mahomes is 15 touchdowns to eight picks. He's thrown one touchdown fewer 
than Russell Wilson with twice as many interceptions. But to hear anyone talk about it, you know, Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the league, and he is. But Wilson is just terrible and finished. His touchdown interception ratio is better. His raw touchdown numbers, better. The 16 is second in the NFL. The percentage of a TD to uh, attempts ratio, 6.9% of his passes are going for touchdowns. That's tops in the NFL. Yeah, three for 19 helps. Yeah. Three touchdown passes on 19 throws. The passer, but, he'd been, but he had actually been in the top five of that all no, season I know. long. I know. Uh, touchdown percentage rating, rating has been high all year. is fourth in the league at 101.7. Now, he is third with 26 sacks taken, and that's uh, – you actually like to be third low worst. on that. Yeah. yeah, third worst. And the QBR puts him 21st in right. the league of 45.3. So the, the overall performance is unimpressive. But just like the passer rating is a measurement of efficiency, the QBR rating is generally of how much you did to help your team win the game. Right. It's a weird Excellent spot point. because Excellent Russell point. Wilson that, that is, is quite frankly not being asked to do very much. And no. that's weird. It, Only four attempts were went more than 20 yards right. downfield. Two of them were completed. One of them drew a penalty. Well, his biggest problem is that the coach doesn't trust him and has no confidence in him. And is that because of fumbles? Because it can't be because of picks. He's got a four to one touchdown. He, he, he just ratio. doesn't doesn't trust him. And I, I I think his judgment is far more harsh than any criticism, at least this year. That's been made of Russell Wilson. His harshest critic is his coach. Is his head coach. You're right. That's a great point. And You're right. I, I don't care so much about what he has said, although he has said plenty to indicate mm. that he doesn't have much confidence in him. I don't I, I look at what people do. And when in a tight game in the second half, where the Broncos have the ball. Almost the entire half. Mm -hmm. They ended up with, what, 34 minutes of possession time? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Right? And I'm uh, looking here at the end of the first quarter. The Broncos had the ball for six and a half minutes. That means in the last three quarters, if my math is right, that's 45 minutes. The Broncos had the ball for about 28 minutes out of those 45 against the Kansas City Chiefs, who this year happen to have a pretty good defense. Uh, pretty good. Right? They're really good. I mean, in some ways, I think their defense, well, certainly yesterday, their defense is better than their offense was. He only threw seven passes in the second half mm -hmm. of any kind. Yeah. Seven forward passes. Many of them behind the line of scrimmage, but forward passes, right? Seven and a half in a game that was 14 to nine at the half and 14 to nine in the fourth quarter until and, and the Broncos broke it open very late. Consider that. I mean, we, we talked about the touchdowns, right? The 16 touchdowns matching last year's. But it, as we talked about, more than Patrick Holmes, more than Justin Herbert, who has 13. Here's the guys ahead of him Josh Allen with 17, one more. He's got eight picks. Kirk Cousins will finish, unfortunately, but bad luck for him. Sorry, Achilles. He was having a terrific year. 18 touchdowns to five interceptions. Right. And two at time, Glalo, who has 18 touchdowns to seven interceptions. Yeah. I mean, by it's funny. I, I get it. You can look at whatever his stats say. Well, look at the yards he's thrown us fewer than those guys. It's true. But if you were to ask most coaches, if I have a guy that is leading the league or really close to it in touchdown interception ratio while being in the top five in total touchdowns, 
you could tell most coaches that's the only two stats you get. Most coaches will be like, I'll take it. I'll take it. Four to one touchdown interception well, ratio, and he's top five in total touchdowns. I'll take it. I'll deal with the rest of the stats later. Yeah. But, but to, to Sean Payton, you might as well be nothing. Well, but but I, I think part of the reason he only has four picks is well, he's, he's that intentionally he's not, not throwing the ball down the field. And that he's not taking chances. That isn't Wilson. That's the coach uh, who's holding him back in some ways, but also protecting him in a way you protect quarterbacks you don't trust. Yep. Right. Because some of Wilson's worst impulses are to wait and look for the, the long bomb down the sideline. That's what he's done in his career. Keep this in mind. Throughout his entire career, if you were to say Russell Wilson throws one pass, it's not the most likely, but it is the one that stands out the most in comparison to, to the other quarterbacks over the same span of time. Russell Wilson throws the deep sideline route to the right, in which over the course of career he's been extraordinarily successful at it. Last year, Sandy, he didn't throw a single, not last year, pardon me, on Sunday, he didn't throw a single pass, not one, to the right of the hashes. Not a pass. Not a pass behind the line of scrimmage. Not a pass. Not one. 19 passes. Not one went to the right. So, yeah, I guess he is changing things where he's looking at Wilson and trying to protect him from his worst impulses. But it feels like there's got to be a happy medium here. Yeah. And I don't think the Broncos have come across it. And I will give Wilson this. Besides the one time where you could read the body language where he got hollered at as a late fumble in the Jets game, and he just kind of listened, didn't argue back, didn't even push back, listened and just sort of walked off. Wilson has played the good soldier in public. He still keeps his, you know, everything's great. We all believe in ourselves. Everyone's on the same page. Uh, he hasn't been going after Peyton the way that Peyton's gone after him. No, no. And I feel a little bad for Wilson in that situation. I do, um, you know. I, <laughs> I've I've had debates with with people in this profession over the years about how sometimes money makes uh, the hurt go away, uh, sting a little less, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly he can't complain about his contract. But it's it's odd to see such a celebrated quarterback whether you think he's past his prime or even worse, washed up or not, it's sad to see a quarterback like that reduced to playing like a backup. You know, just don't screw things up for our defense. Playing like a backup is the best way to describe it, Sandy. You nailed it. They're asking him to play like a backup. You're playing him like the kid in Chicago. Yep. Well, I, I happen yep. to think it's a great story, but that's what the Bears are doing with, with this with kid. Yep. And, you know, they know their quarterback of the future isn't this kid. Uh, and, uh, this kid, I, I think at the very least, will have a very long career as a, one of the better backups in the league, even if it's not in Chicago. But they're not asking but, him but to they, do much. They, they, Justin Fields is allowed to make mistakes because they want to see if he's a franchise quarterback, and you got to let him play. In order to see that, and if you let him play, he's going to make mistakes. With his backup, they're just saying, "Hey, don't don't mess things up." I know our defense isn't great, our special teams have always been great, but they aren't great anymore. Just don't make mistakes. And so he plays more or less a mistake-free game. I, I know he th- at least one interception that I saw last night. I didn't see his 
stat line. But they got killed because the Chargers are a better team, and Herbert seems now to have found a way to be comfortable playing with a broken finger on his left left hand. They've tried it with gloves and everything else. Well, Herbert was great last night. So there was no way Chicago was going to win the game playing as conservatively as as they did. And it even bailed out a Charger defense that is very vulnerable to good passers, as Mahomes demonstrated when he was uh, healthy and well uh, eight days ago. But to, to see Wilson playing like that, yeah. And, I, I you know, I know you see some Ws in the second half of the schedule, and they may get to six or even seven wins. But they're not going to beat the good teams. They're not going to win in Buffalo on a Monday night with Wilson playing the way he played yesterday. There's no way they can win. It feels like they need more. We'll find out and talk more about this as the week goes along. Thanks so much to our guest, Cody Rourke, from Miley Sports. Check him out tomorrow morning. Good morning, Broncos. 9 a.m. on the My Life Sports YouTube channel. And, of course, Dr. Rick Perea, who joins us every Monday on our Mental Monday. Get your checkup from the neck up from Dr. Rick. Think1forU.org is the website. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work, but it's really you. This is your show. And thanks for listening, whether it's on the FM or the HD radio or MyLifeSports.com or you got ahead of all of it and, you know, join God with the Times. Grab the My Life Sports app for free. Thanks so much for doing so. We have to step away because... Uh, well, we got Nuggets basketball to watch in a World Series and Monday Night Football. You know, we're, we're busy. We're busy. You are, too. But we'll look forward to catching you tomorrow. To keep it right here. For Santa Club, I'm Sean Drostar. This is Smiley Sports. <laughs>